it's all filters. It all comes down to that, I think, is filter the information you put in, filter the friends you allow to influence you. That's really critical. And then find ways to process the things that you allow in, in frameworks that are effective. And when you start putting all that stuff together, then you can move very, very rapidly to accomplish almost anything. And when you can move very rapidly to accomplish anything and you're not blaming yourself or other people around you for your circumstances and you're accepting responsibility and you know you're in control because you have the ability to adjust the filter and find the frameworks and then apply them, then you kind of have to be happy. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Listeners, welcome to the show today. I am excited to introduce a serial entrepreneur that has done so many amazing things in his life. His name is Roland Frazier. He is an entrepreneur who has built and sold over 24 businesses with sales ranging from $3 million to almost $4 billion. He's a featured Forbes, Inc. and Entrepreneur Magazine serial businessman. He is a co-founder or principal of five different Inc. Magazine fastest growing companies. He's currently the CEO of All Channels Media and the principal at Scalable.co, DigitalMarketer.com, Traffic and Conversion Summit, Praxio.com, TrueConversions.com, War Room Mastermind, Fully Accountable, Everbowl Restaurants, Big Block Realty, Scribe Publishing, and Real Estate Worldwide. Roland's work also includes infomercials with Guthy Rinker, publishing deals with Simon & Schuster and Random House, over 100 private and public offerings, running an international hedge fund, advising Pepsi, McDonald's, and also strategic partnerships with Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Etihad Airlines, HarperCollins Publishing, FedEx, and Uber. His specialties or superpowers, as we like to say today, are acquiring and partnering with entrepreneurs to scale businesses through acquisitions, strategic relationships and marketing negotiation, copywriting, marketing strategy, structuring and funding of mergers and acquisitions, and public exit strategies for businesses and entrepreneurs. That's a mouthful. Roland, welcome to the show. How are you today? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, and it's kind of true, is I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> as I keep looking, right? Yeah, as, it, as I read through that, I'm just like, man, how does he have that much time to do all that stuff? But Well, you know, I think I'm, I'm older than you. That's how I do that. That's it. Yeah. How old are you? Do you mind sharing? I'm 56. Uh, you're still young, right? You're still... Mm-hmm. I, got, I got a couple years left before they put me down, I think. Do you, do you have a goal of how long you want to make it to? Uh, I, you know, not really, um, just to me that it's the things that, that, that is, uh, the goal is symptomatic of the things that you do, which is, you know, try to exercise, eat right, be healthy, all those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, what is like, like you have, you've done so much in your life and it's always when, when we have somebody like you on the podcast, it's always like, okay, what do we talk about? Because we could talk, you know, use the whole podcast to talk about one of your businesses or one of your ventures or one of your stra- superpowers, really. Um, a guy like you, like what is one of your core values that makes you get up and go and continue every single day? Probably curiosity. I, I'm, uh, I am ravenously curious. So I want to know how everything works and what everybody's done. And I just get frustrated at not being able to read all the books I want to read and meet all the people I want to meet and meet and go all the places I want to go and all that. It's, uh, it's, uh, there's just so much to encounter and experience in life. And so I, I am uh, an eager embracer of experiencing all those different things. I like that. And anything in particular that's really driving you now? Um, right now is really just the tremendous opportunities that have been presented by the situation we find ourselves in with the current crisis. It's, uh, it's the, just really an opportunity that uh, hopefully we will never have again, but, and it is an opportunity nonetheless. And so um, it has been a period of working harder than I've worked in a long time because there's just so many things going on right now that uh, that are very unique that won't be here for a long time and so uh, it's it's important to me to take advantage of all of those right now now when the quote unquote pandemic hit um you know as a seasoned entrepreneur and uh, all the thing uh, af- after all the experience that you've had what was the first thing that came to mind for you? Did you have to switch strategies, call the people, the partners up in the companies, say, you know, and have meetings like what's next? Or did you just stop, take a step back and analyze the situation to see what you guys were going to do next? Yeah, it's a little bit of all of that because I have a lot of different businesses. Um, the The most pressing thing for me is always taking care of the customers. So I had, um, I have an events company where we do live events and we had, several of those scheduled and really we weren't sure whether we were going to be able to do them right up until the dates of each of them so um we i think it was like the third week of march ish second or third week of march that uh california where i'm located shut down all of the you know those kinds of things hotels in particular where we hold those and convention centers and um, I was sitting in the hotel down the street where I do uh, some of the live events that we've gotten. And I had people who had flown in for an event that was sold out and had to cancel that because we weren't able to hold it, you know, according to the governor. So um, that was my first thing was, gosh, I really hate to tell all these people that we can't do this now, but we're not, we're literally legally not allowed to do it. And how can I take care of them and get them what they want and, um, you know, in the best way possible. And then I had a, another event 
the following week and the week after that, we had a giant event with 10,000 people called Traffic and Conversion Summit uh, to be held at the convention center. So like that was a, a lot of people who were counting on us to give them the things that they wanted from those events. And so how could we do that in the best way possible? And also, you know, we're concerned about taking care of the customer, getting them what they want, taking care of our people. Um, you know, we have lots and lots of people that work on those events as well. And, and then, um, you know, we have obviously sold tickets to those events. So there's millions of dollars of, um, of sponsors. So right off the bat, the very first thing that was on my mind was sitting in a hotel when I'm told that the thing that was supposed to start the next day can't happen. How do you deal with all that? And so we had a lot of pivoting to do on that because uh, we need to postpone the one that's got 10,000 people. How do I take care of the two that I'm supposed to deliver um, you know, before that, before that one was taking on? And so there was a lot of scheduling because you have to reach out and, and keep in mind, those aren't all, I mean, later like that month, I had those events plus another one in London, plus another one in Las Vegas, plus another one in San Diego. It's like, I mean, it, it was massive amounts of just logistical challenges and talking to hotels and convention centers and uh, AV companies and, you know, so many things that, that go into just that one medium of delivering, uh, delivering our, our product that had to all be rearranged. And so that was, you know, really the first couple weeks was just getting all of that stuff in hand. And um, with our other businesses, like our real estate brokerage business, and our restaurant business, we can't have people in the restaurants. And, you know, our online businesses taking, uh, you know, about a 20% hit across the board initially. That, like, all of that happened at once. And so it was, okay, how do we want to approach this? And also, how do we want to lead through it? That was something that was important to me was, you know, how do, how do I be a voice of positivism and hope and leadership to the extent that I can for anybody that will listen through this and be a, you know, be a force for good. So it was about a week of evaluating and figuring out and talking and lots of meetings, you know, lots of Zooms and all of that kind of stuff and uh, figuring out what to do and then rescheduling events and all that kind of stuff. And then it was, okay, I want to help people through this. So I started doing a, a Zoom call a day with some person that I thought would be helpful to people for anybody that would listen for free, obviously. And um, that was really where I started was just, it's, you know, okay, this is, this is something that's happening, but there's going to be a huge opportunity in this. The first thing I need to do is be sure everything is set the second thing I need to do is be sure that I am leading in a way that I want to lead. And the third thing is, where's the opportunity? And so it took about, that was really about a week to 10 days um, that all that happened. And so my solution to the events that I had scheduled for the, the thing that I normally present was to do that online, um, to do it in a different way, using a, a strategy that somebody I had met with just the week before when I happened to be in Las Vegas had suggested. And, um, you know, that, so like I canceled my event on Sunday night. So that was a Monday that that was supposed to happen Monday, Tuesday. And then for the, for the Thursday of that week, so three, four days later, basically start this new thing. And we did it and it, you know, we put our hundred percent of our effort into that and it has done, it did amazingly well and it's done amazingly well for the past four months. 
and um, reschedule the event. And then it's like, do we schedule in July? No, that's probably too soon. So let's schedule in December. Now it looks like maybe December will be too soon. So we'll see, we got all of our hotel dates moved. We didn't have to pay penalties on any of those. Um, got all of our AV and all of those people working in our businesses that were down uh, in the real estate business, we started doing virtual showings. In the restaurant business, we switched to an e-com and takeout model. In the uh, digital businesses, it was let's give away everything free for 30 days and see what happens and build goodwill and help people. And then maybe some of that will convert into paying. And it was really just running every strategy that we could think of while also doing that daily thing to, um, to give back value. And then kind of see how it all shook out. So at the end of the first 30 days, we were ahead in all of those businesses, farther, you know, doing better than we had done before. And um, it was, it was quite, quite a time, you know, it's funny to think that it was only <laughs> about a hundred and some days ago, because it seems like a lot longer. Like a lifetime ago, right? Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned something through that process, you wanted to make sure that you were leading in the way that you uh, wanted to lead. So what were some of the questions or thoughts that you had in your mind and the analysis process that you went through in order to make sure that you were, were making the right steps and doing the right actions in order to lead um, in the way that is in alignment with your values? That's a great question. The thing that was important to me was that I didn't crawl in a hole and that I didn't just focus on myself and changing the things that I needed to change, but that I would also be able to try to offer uh, some sort of advice that might be helpful to other people. And so that, that was the big thing is I, I was like, this is, a, this is, I mean, I remember thinking about it is this is the opportunity to be a person who can help. And I need to do that, even though I'm busy and I've got a lot of stuff on my table, um, on my plate, I, I really need and want to help people. And so it was that that was really easy for me is I know I'm a positive person. And my, my wife says I have a sunshine pump, right? It annoys her sometimes <laughs> that I'm, I'm as positive as I am. And I get it. You know, I, I could be annoying to be around because it's like, you know, oh, the sky is literally falling. Yeah, but think of what we can do with that, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so it was really easy because I just had to be myself, but I had to make the effort to put it together. And it was a lot of work because you talk about getting on a Zoom every day with somebody new, coordinating that, which I have a great team that helped with that. But coordinating that, using my relationship capital to get those people on and then thinking through and asking questions and trying to help people. And they were all Q&As too. So it was like, you know, everybody who came on could, can, you know, could talk with us and ask questions because that to me was the best way to help. So, so it was easy to say, you know, I know if I can be there and I can bring great people who are doing cool things during this time, that that will benefit people. Um, that, that was, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't hard. It, it's just kind of that, that sunshine pump thing comes natural to me. <laughs> Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I, I really don't. I, I think it, I mean, I guess it comes from a lifetime of being interested in, um, in psychology and sociology and, um, business and performance and leadership and goal setting and personal development. Um, that that's, that's just, how I have chosen to think. I don't think you're born that way. I, I think there are people that have chemistry that can inhibit them from being able to do that. But short of that, I think it's, it's mostly just how do you, what do you feed yourself with? And so 
I don't watch the news. I don't watch the, uh, you know, I don't listen to all of the bad things that are out there. I don't get myself tied up in the political turmoil. Um, it's, you know, I, I turn all that off. And almost everyone else that I know who is successful does the same thing because I am not choosing to have an impact in those areas. If I was going to run for office or I was going to support somebody, then I'd probably tune into the political stuff, but I'm not. And therefore I get what they, you know, what they put at in, in my direction and I'll deal with it. And I'm okay with that because I've got other priorities. So I think one of the biggest things for me that helps me be that way is that I know what I want to focus on and I'm comfortable with choosing not to focus on everything else. And therefore I kind of tune that stuff out yet somehow I hear about all of the things that are important in the news. If there's a fire down the road, somebody's going to tell me if there's, you know, some big thing that's happened, I'll know about it. So I think that's part of it is filling your head with filling your head with everything that is not negative, uh, choosing to focus on the things that are positive and to actively look for the things that are opportunities in times of trouble are really important. And I've gone through some interesting, challenging times. So, you know, that, that doesn't hurt either to know that you can do that. Um, but that's, I, I guess that's probably it more than anything is you really got to be careful what you, what you allow into your life. What are some of the, um, I would say like benchmark, say books or podcasts or events in your life that really helped you? They like kind of laid the foundation of how you think and how you stay positive. So for me, you know, reading Think and Grow Rich was one of those things that, you know, changed it for me. What were some for you? Yeah, I didn't read Think and Grow Rich until, you know, well into my entrepreneurial career. I had heard about it a lot and I had lots of copies of it. I just never had taken the time to read it. Um, but I, I like if I was looking at books, you know, from a finance standpoint, one of the one of the most early books that I read that I found was really helpful was it was actually started out as a series of giveaways that a bank commissioned a guy named George Clayson to write. And uh, ultimately, these little pamphlets that they gave out were assembled into a thing called The Richest Man in Babylon, which is uh, a great book about finance. And so I think, I think that and Siddhartha uh, and um, uh, Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, those were, you know, really bench, benchmark books. Uh, Ruiz's Four Agreements, that, those kinds of things. Uh, M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. I was always into that. Oh, and then the Wayne Dyer books, um, you know, Your Erroneous Zones, Pulling Your Own Strings, Even Winning Through Intimidation with Robert Ringer, who's now, I think, back. Um, those, those books all really helped me see ways to think positively, I think. And then also I became really enamored with psychology. So I read all of, you know, B.F. Skinner's books and all of those things. And so I was, you know, I was... I remember doing book reports in, in high school on transactional analysis from I'm okay, you're okay, and things like that. And, you know, and that really helped me. It was like, when, when I didn't understand, I guess a lot of it is understanding people in a way that causes you not to feel persecuted by them or singled out or resentful. Um, and I found like initially transactional analysis was really helpful because it's, they, they use a PAC thing, parent, adult, child. And at any given time, we're even the cover is like at any given time, this person is coming from a place of being a parent, which is like an authoritative dictatorial kind of place. 
uh, an adult, which is a logical caring place or a child, which is kind of a emotional, maybe fearful place um, or, or just, you know, ignorant in, in a, in the true definition, they just don't know. And then they're interacting with the other person who's coming from one of those. So they can match up in good ways, adult, adult, or in bad ways, parent, child. It, it's kind of interesting. And I think that like, really it's, I guess if I was going to break it down even more, it's frameworks. Frameworks are incredibly helpful to me because they allow, they allow us to move through the world in a very efficient and effective way. And so whether it's the framework of like Dennis Waitley's Psychology of Winning, which was very impactful on me, or Tony Robbins' adaptation of the uh, Bandler and Grindler stuff, you know, Grindler stuff, um, that like all those different frameworks of how to think and process the, the, the things like from Tony, Tony really helped me with modeling. He was the first person that I heard say, if you think the thoughts and do the actions of the people who have achieved the success you want, then you're likely to replicate that success. Um, limited, of course, by physics and things like that. But um, I was like, that's really cool. So basically now it's all here for us because we didn't invent business as one of my partners says, right? We didn't invent this stuff. It's all been done before. So all we have to do is find the right model to work with and then masterminding, which was uh, Napoleon Hill. You know, I got that right. The, the getting together with other people who can help you and that I don't know who said you are the average of the five people that you spend time with, but that's definitely to me true. So always be elevating that while still reaching out and helping others. Then um, that masterminding, uh, modeling, and then mentoring, finding people who are, are the experts that you can then model that, that three M strategy has been kind of my thing, right? Is, is if I can model successful mentors and then mastermind with groups of them, then that's going to keep me feeling pretty good, right? And even when I'm falling, then I've got people supporting and making good decisions about, you know, the person that you choose to have in your life as your spouse or, or partner and, you know, that kind of stuff. And your friends, it's, it's all filters. It all comes down to that, I think, is, you know, filter the information you put in, filter the friends you allow to influence you. Um, that's really critical and then find ways to process the things that you allow in, in frameworks that are effective. And Charlie Munger is to me, like what he said about mental models, he said, you know, we, we really move about in the world best when we have, I think he said a lattice work of mental models to, to help us and that go across disciplines so that we know the different models for different things when you start putting all that stuff together, then you can move very, very rapidly to accomplish almost anything. And when you can move very rapidly to accomplish anything, and you're not blaming yourself or other people around you for your circumstances, and you're accepting responsibility, and you know you're in control because you have the ability to adjust the filter and find the frameworks and then apply them, then you kind of have to be happy. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Um, I've, I've realized that in my life, like I use a lot of mental models that keep me in structure. If I don't have like a planning system or a mental model in different scenarios, I just like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm kind of lost. So uh, what are the, what are some of the mental, your favorite mental models, Roland? And then um, when observing a new mental model, how, how, how would you, what's the thought process of deciding, okay, this is one I want to take on for myself? 
Yeah, that's a that's a a book of questions. Um, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's it's really I guess that the that remaining, you know, using your filter, using the things we just talked about, the filter and frameworks to be selective as to what models you are going to allow to be added to the, to the, you know, the catalog. Um, that's very helpful because now you can filter out the ones that you don't think will be helpful then. Um, and you can find, you know, if they don't, I guess if the model doesn't create um, some improvement or enhancement to what I have, it's just extra information. And maybe there's 16 ways that you can process how do people interact, but you've, are, you've got one that you like that's, you know, let's say transactional analysis. I like the parent adult child thing. It's very simple, easy for me to understand. I like the, um, the, the um, neurolinguistic programming stuff that, you know, what we tell ourselves in language really affects everything. And so those words are very, very, very important. And, um, and we process through modalities like uh, kinest, you know, kinesthetic and visual and auditory. And so how, do, how are we interacting with those people? Well, what's cool about that is then I can say, okay, I've got this parent adult child thing. And how can I make that better? Well, I can make that better if I can figure out how to be in rapport with wherever somebody's coming from within that framework. And a framework that I can layer onto that is NLP and say, well, if this person is coming from an authoritative position and I'm in an adult position, not a child, then I'm meeting them in the most logical way possible. And to connect with them and try to pull them into adult as well, I have to ideally figure out what is the modality that's going to be most familiar and comfortable for them. Because if I can move them and communicate in the modality that they understand, if I'm giving them visual images in their auditory and I'm, I'm saying, see, you know, can't you see, look, that kind of stuff, instead of, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying, these words, you know, that kind of stuff, and then pull them into rapport and then move them into the right adult logical frame, then that's going to enhance the model I've got. That's a model I'm going to add. Whereas if it's, you know, well, there's the, there's parent, adult, child, and there's these 17 other things that, that we could be in as well. Um, like Oren Claff has a thing that he wrote about uh, in Pitch Anything. And he says, you know, we're all coming in frames and one frame is going to dominate the other and so on and so forth. I don't agree with that. I think it's an interesting way of looking at things. I think it's a great book and I think Oren's a smart guy, but that, does, that doesn't help me enhance what I've got. And it's not revolutionary enough in terms of elevate what I've got to the next place that I would want to get rid of the stuff that I've got. So I'm basically going to say, that's really cool. It's just not going to go into my arsenal. But then when I get something completely different, like the Eisenhower model uh, and, you know, for time management and say, is it important? Is it urgent? Uh, you know, and put, put it in that, that graph, then that's, is it important or unimportant, urgent or unurgent and put it in a, a matrix and say, okay, there's four ways that, that things can be, and I only want the important, urgent things to be the ones that I'm focused on immediately, and then I can go into the other boxes. Well, that helps me manage my time, and it meshes and it will ultimately enhance those other two models that I'm working with. And so that's kind of a maybe like looking at those four different models: the Oren Claff model, the er the Eisenhower model, the NLP model, and um, the transactional analysis model, and saying, okay, with that's kind of how I process things. Does that make sense? Does that help a little? 
It does. It does. Would you say those are your four top no, ones that you? Not, not at all. No. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I think they're all helpful, right? So I think we just, and it was interesting because I looked and looked and looked and looked for, um, for Munger to say, you know, these are mine. These are my 72 models, but the little son of a gun doesn't ever say it anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, there are books and I don't remember who the author is, but I think there's two volumes of mental models and um, there's Farnham street, which I think is a fantastic website, which, you know, is very focused on those kinds of thoughts and things. Um, and um, I think that like those specific tactics along with the greater, overarching philosophies and um, um, Stephen West, uh, my wife found this podcast by Stephen West called Philosophize This that starts pre-Renaissance um, and goes all the way you know, to modern day philosophy. I think there's a hundred and some episodes through all of the major philosophers and kind of boils down what they think. And like, that's a great overlay on top of these tactical models to have the kind of philosophical why and, um, and then they all interact. So that's, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of my ever evolving little ooze of thought. <laughs> I think we could write a book on that. That'd be a good how-to book for people. Um, so I'm curious, you know, with all the things that you have going on. So I know you, you, um, you started out playing in a band at like 14 years old, you know, playing keyboard, right? At nightclubs. And you played in a band until you're in mid forties. Is that right? I did, yeah. I started playing in clubs when I was 15 and then I uh, was in my basement for several years before that, but we hit our first club, uh, at 15 and then, um, ended up playing till I was about 42. And do you think that beginning of being in a band and using the musical creativity that you needed to use, um, helped you in business over the years? Is this something that, that helped you get into the right mindset so you could understand business better? Or is there any connection there at all? Yeah, I, I think um, the Steve Combs, shoot, he's going to shoot me for not remembering his name exactly. Uh, but but uh, his last name is Combs. Um, I, I was doing my website. I finally decided that I should have a personal brand a couple of years ago. Um, cause I was always like a behind the scenes type guy. And I realized that with where things are going online, it's good to have a personal brand in addition to having whatever business brand or brands that you're involved with. And so I decided to do that. And I had this company called Influx with a guy named, um, Dimitri and Dimitri sat down with me. It was really actually a cool process because I, I knew he was my guy because we had, he's like, you know, yeah, let's just have, um, uh, let's just have lunch and, you know, we'll figure out what, uh, what should be, what your website should, should be like. And I was like, well, this is kind of different. And we did it. And he's like, I'm seeing like blue and gold. I've seen these colors. I think I've got the colors down. And then it, ch it changed over time. But I was like, oh, okay. You like, you're thinking you want to meet people to figure out what kind of colors their brand should be. That's really cool. Right. And, um, and then he, uh, Patrick, he introduced me to Patrick Combs and Patrick, um, this I thought was total because he said, yeah, we want to get your, you know, your origin story. And I'm like, ah, origin story, you know, <laughs> born a poor, you know, sharecropper in Tuscaloosa and lived in a bathtub and my parents beat me. No, I hate that stuff. Right. I, I just don't think it's that important. And, um, but I did go through the process. So I was open-minded, but hard to convince. And I met with him and we chatted and then he said, okay, cool. I'm going to do it. And I'll send over your origin story and see what you think. And he came up with what's on my site right now, which is 50% creativity and 50% business. 
And I was like, that's actually dead on. And it has helped me immensely. It's, it's the ability to see outside the box is, is really cool. So I like, I've worked at it though. I don't think that, I don't think that for me, I started out like really super creative. I was always interested in creative type things like, you know, writing and music and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and I wanted to do it, but, um, but like in approaching, uh, you know, like, uh, Mensa puzzles, you know, or logic traps and things like that. Um, I don't think I started out like being this super, you know, like, Oh, it's all easy. I'm, you know, two years old and I know you spin the thing to make all three balls go into the things there, you know, like that's, but I've learned and, um, and that's been encouraging to me because it's like, okay, well, I've had a passion to be creative, whether I started that way or not. And so encouraging that and feeding that and studying creativity and lateral thinking, those Edward de Bono books and, you know, all that stuff, that, that's made a huge difference in helping me to get there. And now I, I think I'm there, but I'm still frustrated pretty regularly of, you know, dang on, I just, I, I wasn't thinking big enough or, you know, or that's a really cool solution to that thing. So um, I think it's a, I don't think it's something that ever stops, but I do think it's something you can nurture and it's been hugely helpful to me um, because people think I'm smart and people think that I've got creative solutions and people look to me if, if they're at a, uh, you know, at a stalemate or a standstill in something, it's like, you know, well, let's talk to Roland. Let's have Roland come in. Maybe he can figure something out. And I usually can um, probably because I've got all these great models, you know, but, um, but somehow, you know, I've been able to, uh, to nurture the creativity and the models. And that helps me, you know, come up with solutions that other people don't come up with as frequently. So yes, I think it's good. That's a very long answer to your not that long question. <laughs> I know. I think that's fantastic. Cause like I, I started out with the, the mental model of just work, 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 work. Right. Mm -hmm. And creativity, you know, is something we do for like 10% of the time and then 90% work. Right. And then as I grow as an entrepreneur, that same thing comes up, like more creativity time, more time to go on those long walks. So those ideas can come to our heads. And so we can really implement that. And the more time I spend on creativity, it seems like the less work I need to do. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. I even have a good friend that, um, you know, he's 90, 10, 90% creativity, 10% work, which is fascinating how he does yeah. it. But like, how, what are some of the ways that you nurture that creativity? um, throughout your day, throughout all the things you have going on? Uh, do you sp take specific time off to make sure you're just not thinking about anything and letting the creativity come up or the exercises or just falling back to the mental models or what's your, your mode? Yeah. I, I find that my, that my best ideas will come either early in the morning or late at night when I'm in that kind of half awake, half asleep state, which I believe uh, you know, they call it, I think, twilight, that, that that is a time when your conscious and subconscious are somewhat intertwined and your subconscious is working on challenges that your conscious isn't aware of, but that your conscious placed there earlier. So I, I remember reading that um, both Edison and Salvador Dali um, would really try to get in a twilight state. And Dali used to hold uh, metal ball bearings in his hand over a metal tray and sit in his chair relaxing and then kind of half fall asleep but then when he fell all the way asleep he'd drop the balls and it would wake him up and then he'd do it again because that was how to stay in that state 
So I find that 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 time and the uh, and working out when I'm when I'm uh, like on the treadmill walking when I have some or or walking generally some physical activity um, helps stimulate that as well. And I know you know everybody from Roosevelt to Jobs were big fans of walking, right? And I think that's why is there's some magic in the in the unification of motion and thought that gets us to that more creative place. But those, those are the times that, that have been best for me. So I, tr so I do those things. And then I think it's important to stay mentally sharp also. So, you know, I do crosswords and Sudoku, Sudoku, yeah, Sudoku and, um, and logic puzzles and riddles, you know, all of those things because that like, and people don't, I think, think about the benefits of that. Like a crossword will have, uh, will have a question or a clue that makes you think in so many different ways. If you take the literal thought, you're probably going to be wrong. And so then you have to think about, well, what else could this mean? And so if you spend enough time, and I do those daily, right? If you spend enough time focused in the world of, well, how else can I look at this? Then that's only going to help you be more creative because I think creativity is really just finding more angles. And, um, and so that, I find that to be really, really helpful. And then the harder Sudoku problems to me are like that as well, because there's a point at which just pure logic won't get you there. And then you have to go to other things. And so I think that, I think those are, those are really good ways. And riddles are like that too. It's like, what makes you go beyond the logic of the words that are on the page to thoughts of what those words represent in different contexts? And that to me really helps stoke creativity. I like that. So in the morning and the evening time, Roland, are you, you know, journaling when ideas come to you? Or are you going on the walks then? Or? I can't journal. I, I do. Um, I, I do my, like the best, the thoughts come anytime I'm like, especially walking. Um, but I, I, I'm on the treadmill usually. So like, I like to do that in the morning because if I don't, it seems like it doesn't get done. So I get the benefit of like, I wake up in the morning and then I, I just, I've tried to journal, man. I can't do it. It just is too much time. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and I know that it's probably a great thing that I'm missing out on. I, meditation eluded me for like forever. And, um, and I'm still not nearly as good. I can go maybe like five minutes, but it's really hard <laughs> to tame the crazy out, right. For a, long enough to just let it all go. I remember though, um, a conversation I had a couple years ago with my friend, John Asaroff, really helped. Um, he was saying, because uh, I was saying, yeah, this meditation thing, man, I know it's great, but I just have a hard time. And he's like, well, he said, visualize, like, just try to think about nothing. But when something comes into your mind, visualize that thing, like wine, let's say, because I'm looking at a book on wine. Wine comes into my mind when I'm trying to have it blank. Well, picture that word and then picture it moving off uh, you know, like you're, you're mentally willing it out and it's getting smaller and smaller. And I was like, okay, that helps me because I can't seem to keep things from coming in, but I can be active at getting those things out. And, um, and so that's been really helpful. And then as much as I also, you know, derided it for years and years and years, I think that uh, being grateful about two or three things a day is really helpful. And one thing that I um, that I did that I, that's been really good for me is, is being grateful for something that I take for granted, like that I can walk or that I can see because so many people can't. And then that's like, you know, tag on, I mean, 
poor pitiful me. Look at, you know, look at my first world problems when there's all this other stuff that's going on. I got to be grateful, you know, for being born where I was and who I am and, you know, and, um, and having my senses, all five of them, you know, as far as I can tell, right. That that's really just basic stuff, but I don't think we ever think about it. And if you do, then it makes the other stuff seem a little more trivial, right? Yeah, absolutely. I use that same same idea when I meditate, except I have a vacuum cleaner. So as soon as the wine comes in, like it just sucks out of me. I like it. It doesn't drift off. Um, but they say like, I've studied the mind quite a bit lately, and, and they say that um, a lot of people with active minds, uh, they may necessarily not need an, a closed eye meditation, like an open eye meditation, just staring at a flower yeah. or something or a spot on the wall help slow down those my those people with active minds so maybe that's something that might might work all for right you. i'm gonna try okay so let's see I've, I've got a few questions that some of the listeners and fans wrote okay. in here I just, let's see what we've got um so we've kind of touched on this but are there any other key activities or habits that you've produced you know we talked about creativity and kind of the daily things that you do but uh that harvest the best results in your life anything yeah else? um I, I am intentional about the relationships that i have to keep them active so whether that's um remembering to get flowers for my wife on you know a regular but not um but not like you know once a week on thursdays at seven o'clock process uh schedule is um uh, you know, it's important to me and, you know, thinking about my kids and being sure that I'm going to get to see them and spend time with them. And, um, and also friends, I'm very, I, I have friends that go back 20, 30, you know, years or more. And I reach out to them to just say, how are you doing? And I, I think that that's really important. And there's not like any profit in it from a financial standpoint, but from a being connected standpoint and a continuity of life standpoint, it's kind of cool. So I, I think that that, that is, uh, is really important. And um, other than that, and trying to, you know, it, it's easy when you're really passionate about something to only be obsessed with that thing. And I'm very, very passionate about business. And so I'm not really good at reading, say, fiction books, but, um, but I do try when like, there's a giant thing, like when the Da Vinci code came out, I remember, or, you know, things like that to plug into that because that is, you know, they, what is the spirit of the times is zeitgeist, right? Is to, to tap into the zeitgeist of like, why is this a thing for everybody? And, um, I want to understand it and I want to be able to participate in the culture of it. So I, I will, go outside my normal comfort zone of things to do that. And then also um, to not just be obsessed with business stuff. So like if my wife, my wife recently read a book called Presidents of War and it studies all of the different presidents of the United States and how they behaved during wartime, both in terms of strategy and, you know, everything else. And it's absolutely fascinating. And so that's, you know, like getting exposed to different things to me helps you with the things that you're passionate about because all of my biggest breakthroughs have always come from things that I saw like, you know, oh, they're doing this in the tobacco industry and we could apply this to the, you know, oil spill industry. That, that kind of stuff is, you know, is a really good source of things to help you be creative and help you solve the challenges that you've got. And it turns out that you're more interesting if you're not just all about business all the time. Kind of in alignment with that, you know, we talked about earlier the top five people 
your life is going to represent um, the top five people you hang around with the most. So what are some of the traits you look for in others, like your top five or ten people, to see if they're someone that you want to continue to have in your life on a regular basis? Yeah, it's really just just um, kind, smart, um, compassionate, um, curious, and um, really just um, embracing the experiences that are around us. I guess, like, I, I would say motivated, but I have people who are in my life that aren't motivated, but but they're there for a different reason. Um, but they're all curious, and none of them really operate from fear. I wouldn't say they're all fearless, but I'd say that that they're not fearful, and um, and they are kind and compassionate. So I think those are those are the things that immediately pop into my mind as being really important in the people that uh, you know definitely the the treat other people treat everyone with respect. That's a big deal to me. I I think that everyone has something they can offer us that we can learn from. And it's really a mistake to just because of someone's position or um, success or lack thereof or whatever, um, there's always something that you can be taught from somebody else. And so I like being around people that are aware of that and live that way. You didn't mention business, like uh, any type of level of, of business to, for the people that you're surrounding. No, I mean, it, it's just core values. If I think about you... like, if I think about the business people that I'm surrounded with, they are pretty successful. But there's a lot of people that are more successful that I could probably learn a whole lot from. I get right now to interview them, and I definitely would say that the level of business acumen of the people that I hang around with in business now is dramatically higher than it was uh, even three years ago. And that's been really, really cool. And I am actively doing that without being a climber, which is important to me, right? I don't want to just like climb over people. I want to, you know, I want it to be organic. So I'm okay with it going slower. Um, And I'm also okay with having less success, but having a more balanced life. Because one thing that I believe to be true is that the real world changers, the real world changers in anything actually, um, be it politics or business or whatever, um, they're really at this point so dedicated to that thing that they've decided that that is the important thing above all else. And it might not mean that they don't have any relationships or anything like that, but if you look at Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, you know, in the business world or some of the great politicians or leaders, you know, they're pretty single-minded because they have to be to get to that level that they're at. And, um, and I am not interested. I was long ago, but I'm not now I'm more interested in, I would rather not get that extra deal done and be able instead to have dinner with my family or to take time, you know, to go for a walk with my wife or whatever, like that, that's a conscious decision. Um, and I'm aware of the cost. I'm also aware of the cost with a lot of those people who seem so successful, but don't have the balance to sustain them through it. So a lot of times I feel like they get lost or their whole personal life is just in ruins around them, right? Because of the single mindedness. And I get that it takes that. So I think for me, it's kind of cool because like, I don't, I've made that decision. So I don't resent anybody for holding me back 
because I've chosen that. And it's not even being held back. It's just a different level of success or a different path. So that enters into it a lot. Like I would not be good friends with some of those people because I don't share their values. I would love to learn from them business-wise, um, but I wouldn't be willing to implement some of the things that I think they might tell me are critical because I have other values. Okay, we talked about daily rituals and priorities and the 50-50 business creativity. What else do we have here? What is the biggest, uh, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it? I, I mean, I, I, I think they're all pretty big, you know, um, <laughs> I, I don't have like one regret or one thing that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe if I thought about it, um, I'd come up with something, but you know, my, my biggest thing that I would, you know, would like to always figure out how to do better is to, uh, is to help and encourage and not to hurt other people's feelings, you know, not, not to even unintentionally, you know, I know like some of those people that I mentioned that are rocket ship rock star in their one field people, or, or even in like three fields, you know, um, they've left broken relationships. I know that I have messed those up in the past. And so those are the mistakes that, um, that I'm trying to learn from how to be better as I go forward. Um, but I don't have any of them that I'm like, you know, God, that was just, you know, because all of those mistakes make you who you are and nobody gets to be successful without failure and mistakes. So like, and I think that attitude also helps me not be afraid to do things to go forward and just to say, screw it. I'm going to just do it and we'll see what happens. You know, as recent as example of, you know, there's this thing, it's called a challenge, you know? Okay, let's do that. Yeah, but we don't know how. Screw it. Let's just do it. When do you want to do it? Day after tomorrow, right? That's, that's, it's not, I'm not inhibited by, but what if people say, you know, you get challenges, you know, like, I don't care. So, um, so I'm not afraid to make those mistakes. And, and I would like to not have made the ones that caused people pain and and I will own all of them and say that I am who I am and I'm happy with who I am because of the mistakes that I've made, which are part of the overall journey. So I think that helps. And that's why I don't think like that, right? I don't think about what's the giant mistake and, you know, what could I have done, you know, better. And I just, I just don't think like that. So you posted on Facebook today, you or your team, uh, it said, get rid of anything that's not Super your power. superpower. Yeah. So what would, how would you advise someone that that's kind of starting that process, learning what their superpowers are and, or somebody that knows what their superpowers are, but they're trying to get rid of the, the non-essential. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. And, and obviously it's in, in a simple statement like that. You can, you can take it a thousand different ways. What my point in that statement is, or the message is that you're really going to do best, particularly in business, which is where those things are posted in, in a business context, that you're, you can't do everything. And so you're going to be the most successful to nurture the things that you are best at. So figure out what those gifts are. And then if there's one that outshines the others, because I do believe we can have more than one superpower, but so many people try to be everything 
And I think that that inhibits us. That really holds us back because then we're not nurturing the thing that we're, or the things that we're really, really great at. And so I'd rather be great at a few things than be good at everything. And um, one of my friends, uh, my old law partner, when I was practicing law says, he says, he says, I'm an ocean of knowledge an inch deep. And um, I, I like being an ocean of knowledge an inch deep, but I also like having a Mariana Trench there, you know, someplace where I am. And, um, and I know my, one of my other business partners, Ryan Dice, found a book uh, or a blog post or something called the T-shaped marketer. And I like that because they, you know, the theory there is that, you know, be a generalist in as many areas of whatever it is you're interested in as possible while going very deep in a few things. And so that's really the place that I'm coming from when I make that statement is that I think that, that it's good to know context. That's the inch deep. But then really deep dive into the things that you excel at and nurture those things because that will take you so much farther and faster than trying to be doing everything, trying to be good at everything, trying to know everything. You, you can drown in knowledge. Steve Jobs said we, we, it's easy to drown in opportunity, right? And so it's really important. If you know the thing that you're good at, then you won't drown in the opportunity of all the things you're just okay at. So that's what I'm trying to say in that state. That makes sense. Um, if, if you had to start all over, Roland, at, at point zero, no network, no money, no resources, what do you think you would do? If I didn't have uh, any of the stuff that I've got right now, well, I mean, I, I, get, I get to know what I know, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, um, it depends on what thing, uh, you know, I, I could pick a lot of different paths. So are you talking about in a business context? Yeah. Yeah. The starting, you know, starting a new career, a new in business, a business context. In um, I, I would, I would pick the thing, uh, you know, okay. So I would have a bit of a process about it. I would number one say, okay, what are the opportunities that are, that have wind at their backs right now? So I'm a big believer in trends. So I would probably look and see what are the things that are trending right now? And then, what are the opportunities within those trending things? And then I would, um, I would do what I've always done, which is start building a network in that, um, which means getting involved in, if, is there a mastermind? Is there an association? Is there a group of people? Uh, how can I identify the leaders and add value to them to do something? This sounds like a long game, but it's really not. It is ultimately a long game, but like that's what I would do because I always go and try to find the centers of influence who are the leaders in the areas that I want to go in and figure out how to add value to them. And if they have a paid channel of access and I can afford it, I'll pay for that channel of access because then I become a client instead of a, you know, kind of a, just, you know, can you help me? Can I pick your brain kind of guy? And then, um, and then uh, looking at those trends and what those people have, I would plug in and, but, but that's how I have all the stuff that I've got, you know, in terms of business interests now. So like I identify the key players and then I go and figure out how can I add value to those people and then they usually invite me to own part of their business. That's my, you know, my evil benevolent plan. So um, I don't know if that answers it as, as specifically as you would. It does. Uh, when, when targeting like those core leaders that you want to rub shoulders with and connect with, what are, what are some ways that you would add value? Well, uh, you know, I, I have a basket of skills like we all do. So what I'm usually asked to do is um, 
is help with, you know, I, I have, I have a kind of a diverse business background. So like in marketing, when I wanted to get into the marketing world, I identified digital marketer as one of the top companies and the people that ran it, Richard Lindner, Ryan Dice, Perry Belcher, um, as the people that I would like to get to know. Then I looked for the paid channel of access. They had one that was a mastermind called war room. So I joined it. I was a member for three years and then I said, okay, how can I distinguish myself? And so I'm very intentional about that, right? Very strategic. So before the first meeting, I said, okay, they've got this thing called Wicked Smart. And if you win Wicked Smart, then you're something because they'll pay attention to you and you know, you'll have proved yourself in some way. So I was like, I got to win. I told my wife, I said, I got to win this Wicked Smart thing. And she said, what are you going to do? And I, said, I have no freaking idea. So then I went and um, asked people, what what are the biggest challenges you've got right now? And there were a couple at the time. And so I was like, okay, I got to figure out solutions to these. And so I did. And I, and again, I don't want to say, you know, so find some impossible solution and do it. I mean, if you apply yourself and you really focus on something, you can solve most little problems that people say is their biggest challenge. Um, and so I, I went into the competition and, you know, into this group where the, the whole mastermind group votes, you, you present and they vote on which thing is the, you know, the most wicked smart. And um, I submitted three things, which most people submit one, but there was no rule that you couldn't submit one. So I gave three because I'm like, hey, more chances to win. And, uh, and I did end up winning, which then caused one of the guys, Perry, to say, you know, hey, man, we're going to go to dinner tonight, but I want to talk to you. I want you to sit next to me and have a conversation. I was like, great. So I did that. And then basically in talking with him, um, kind of found out what was going on there. That one of the things that so few people do is say, tell me about you. What's your thing? How can I help you? And not how can I help you and you know, how can I help support you? Like people say it without any intention of following up. To say it and listen and then say, I'm gonna help these people solve these things. And so um, over the next couple of years, I was able to help them with my legal background, my finance and accounting background, the just business stuff that I knew. And, you know, I'm okay at marketing too. And um, when the opportunity then arose, that was just, you know, gives um, while paying, by the way, but I was getting plenty out of it and developing relationships. But then when the opportunity came, when their CEO departed, um, there was basically a position available for an equal partner. And they asked me, if I would be interested in doing that. And of course I had always been interested in doing that. So we were able to do that. And so that was about a three year process to get from not knowing them and not being in the end to really to being a partner in one of the preeminent brands within that industry. And that's something I've been able to do again and again and again and again, following a pretty similar pattern of that. Like if they, if there's not a mastermind, then it's, you know, who do I know that knows them? You know, how can I get involved in what they're involved in? What are they interested in? How can I help advance the interests of the things that they're interested in? Right. But, but really being uh, thoughtful and intentional about how do I get to know these people? And then how do I truly give them value? And I'm not expecting anything in return. And I'm not trying to weasel my way into the middle of some deal or get in the middle and say, pay me a brokerage fee or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, I know if I help that, I'm going to be somebody that they value that they'll want to be around. And it only works every time. And that goes a long way. 
Um, I think we'll wrap up there, Roland. Just any final tips you'd like to leave for the listeners before we close? No, I mean, just to summarize that last thing is I I just feel that the most manipulative, self-interested thing you can do is be interested selflessly in helping other people without expecting anything in return. It's kind of a weird, (laughs) you know, this dichotomy. Counterintuitive, right? right? You know, but but it just seems to work. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, Roland, or any of the stuff and businesses you have going on, where's the best place they can do that? Uh, they can go to Get Epic Challenge is a, kind of my thing on how to acquire businesses with no money out of pocket. We have uh, You can go to Digital Marketer where we teach people how to, um, how to market online, or I'm on all the social media uh, channels at forward slash Roland Frazier. And then I have a podcast also called Business Lunch. There we go. Roland, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks Thanks, and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so for much. Having me. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.